morning, Calvary Southerton. Good morning to Calvary Quakertown. My name is Fuji Kim. I'm not one of the pastors here. So uh, if you're uh, visiting today, please give the church a second chance impression. Or thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Um, our summer series that we've been going through is how can we get busy living in sync with the way that God wants us to. Now, God is not a God of deprivation. God is a God of abundance. Uh, but the way to experience that abundance, we need to live in sync with uh, how God calls us and intends for us and purposes for us to live. Now, some of the themes that we've covered is uh, living united in community. We've also learned uh, to say no to some things, uh, no to your wives and husbands, as well as in order to say yes to good things in our lives. Um, Charles talked about uh, forgiveness, a critical component of life that appears in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer um, is a lot about our mission. Another way of saying that is, is how, do we how do we live well? Um, we'll see that in Luke 11. Let's go to Luke 11. Let's read it and learn how we can get busy living according to the way that God wants us to. Forgiveness, daily bread, as well as so many other things. We believe here at Calvary that reading the Bible is great for everybody. It does not matter if you're churched or unchurched. So uh, feel free to go online if you have a smartphone. As soon as we're done, please turn on airport mode or airplane mode. Uh, if you are into the old school physical book, uh, there, is, there should be one in front of your pew or where you're sitting, and uh, feel free to take that home. Church people love it when people steal Bibles, so just take that home. There you go. Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, but my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, but because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake and snip? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In order to live well uh, in Israel, people learn to pray. That was part of everyday life. Uh, John the Baptist taught his followers how to pray. And so not to be outdone, Jesus' followers asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us 
how to pray. In America, numerous surveys say people pray. Uh, Pew Research Center study says at least 50% of people pray regularly every day. 23% pray weekly or monthly. Uh, 21% seldom or never do. So nearly 80% of people pray regularly. Now, what do they pray about? 82% pray for family and friends, job, safety, uh, health. 11% of Protestants pray for sports teams. <laughs> now, not to be outdone, 20% of Catholics pray for sports teams. Now, if you have a Catholic background, feel free to email Carlos and Charles why that is. See, some people pray for bad things for others. For example, there's a new guy in office. Uh, he's so knowledgeable, maybe too knowledgeable. God, would you get him fired? Some people pray that uh, relationships break up. Wow, Harry met Sally. What a wonderful couple. Quite happy together. Would you break them up, Lord? <laughs> now, it turns out that people who make over $150,000 a year pray like this. Now, my question is, is, where do people who make so much more than I would ever do learn to pray? <laughs> where did you learn how to pray? Who taught you? Jesus teaches four lessons on prayer. Who, what, how, and why. Let's go to the first lessons. Who? Who do you pray to? Jesus says in verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus is teaching followers who to pray to. And you've got to pray to God as Father. Who you pray to is absolutely crucial. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, says that Jesus is teaching not just what to pray, but the basis of prayer. The basis of how we approach God is absolutely critical. He says there are at least two ways or two bases of approaching God. The difference is not between those who pray and those who don't. Everybody prays. The difference is between do you approach God with a business relationship or a family relationship. The basis of a business relationship goes something like this. God, I want something from you. And God says, I have something for you. The basis of a family relationship is, I am your child. And God's saying, this is what I am to you. I am your father. Business relationship is based on performance. Meeting conditions is not permanent. Not if, but when. Um, uh, I usually pay $50 for fast internet service. Not if, but when they jack up the price. I threaten to leave. That relationship is not permanent. It's based on conditions. But family relationship is very different. It's not based on conditions. It's permanent. Isaiah 49 says, Can a mother forget the baby she is nursing and have no compassion on the child she has given birth? Though she may forget, I, God, will not forget you. See, that's a family relationship. It's permanent. And God wants us to approach him in prayer as father. Could I ask, uh, who do you pray to? Hmm? If you approach God on a business relationship, on a business basis like an employee to an employer, you may still pray, <laughs> but with much anxiety and stress because uh, you know you're supposed to fulfill everything in order for your God to bless you, but you're never sure. You can never completely, perfectly fulfill all of your duties. 
So we have uncertainty if God will give us what we want. There'll be less desire to approach God. And we can know, we can know if the basis of our prayer is a business relationship because um, we become bitter when God doesn't bless us with the things we want, the life that we want. We feel that God, you didn't compensate us correctly. When we pray on a family basis, uh, prayer will be less asking for stuff, a little less whiny, a little less complaining, with less bitterness, more like a conversation. We would be like a child with assurance that the Father would hear and respond. See, the Father who commands prayer also promises that he will hear our prayer. The effect will be less asking for gifts, but asking for the giver, we'll be drawn to pray. See, who we pray to is absolutely critical. It's crucial. That's the first lesson, who. The second lesson is what? What do we pray? Verses three to four is traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. The Lord's Prayer may be familiar to some of us because we grew up with it. We heard it over and over again. Uh, it appears uh, it's used in town council meetings to begin it. It also appears in movies. The latest one was the 2012 version of the Snow White and the Huntsman or Will Ferrell's The Campaign. Now, which means that the Lord's Prayer is uh, understood in many different ways, used in many different ways. Some people have become so familiar with it, saying it rotely without even thinking about it, that we miss the truth. Mm. When Jesus teaches, pray, your kingdom come, Jesus is praying, Jesus is teaching the primary goal of prayer. Prayer is about God's kingdom intruding, coming into the earthly kingdom. Uh, what does that look like? Intrusion is not uh, taking over land or geography, because the Bible assumes God already owns everything. But intrusion is about God's kingdom reigning. God's reign is God as king, restoring things the way that he designed them to be, to make all the wrong things right. What God wants and wills is being worked out. Now, this is made more explicit in the Matthew 6 account of the Lord's Supper, uh, Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus mentions kingdom, the fo his followers would have immediately understood. Because earlier in Luke 4, Jesus said to the crowd, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. In chapter 8, with the 12 disciples, Jesus went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The coming of God's kingdom is good news. The coming of God's kingdom is good news. Good news, uh, historically, uh, when it's defined, is a king wins the battle and brings about peace and prosperity for the whole kingdom. And he reigns supreme, administering his will. See, that's good news. See, it is good news that God's kingdom provides for our daily bread, that God provides for our daily, basic, simple needs. 
It is good news that God forgives us our sins. See, not just restoring the, the legal relationship between us and God as though that we are, uh, he's our judge and we are the convict. No, he's restoring all the ways that sin psychologically, socially, even physically destroy us. See, it is good news that we forgive one another, that we take the uh, splinters out, unpack our backpack, instead of holding on to the grudges and wrongs done to us. And it is good news that God would empower us and keep us from being tempted by our weaknesses and sins, desires, addictions, idols that destroy everything in its path. Hmm. See, the Father's kingdom is good news. We will want that. Jesus wants us to learn the primary goal through learning that prayer. Now, for those of you uh, who have a hard time expressing yourself in prayer, this is, this is a good lesson to learn. For those of you who have a hard time focusing in prayer, this is absolutely necessary. <laughs> Learning about the Lord's prayer as the primary goal in life, uh, primary way to pray, uh, was great for me. It changed my uh, prayer life. Um, you can use the words as a guide. You can use the words as a guide. Now, just to warn you, the Lord's Prayer is not an incantation. It is not a magical spell from Harry Potter. Just because you say, you know, all of a sudden things appear, it's not like that. It is a guide. For one year, I was up in, um, oh, before that, let me tell you two things about me. When I pray, even longer than a couple minutes, I fall asleep. As well as, I'm a terrible runner. I hate running. Um, but when I am active and exercising, I tend to stay awake. Uh, as I was interning in New York City for one year, in the Upper West Side, uh, next to Columbia University, um, I decided, you know what, I need to really grow in prayer. And so I decided to walk and possibly run down and up Riverside Park. Now, I have a hard time running, so I have to focus on running. But when I focus on running, I cannot focus on prayer. So the brilliant idea was, is let's use the Lord's Prayer, as I was taught, as I was trained, Lord's Prayer as a guide, as a kind of a template for prayer. So here I am, I'm starting to walk, leaving Grant's tomb, the marble edifice of Grant's tomb. Right next to it is Riverside Church, the tallest church in the United States. So I'm, I'm walking. Our Father, <laughs> Father, forgive me. You are my Father. You're not just my employer. You're, you're not unhappy with me. You love me. You're my Father. I'm starting to kind of pick up my pace. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And I'm looking down the, the west side of New York City skyline. He says, God, this is the earthly kingdom, but your kingdom is far better. When your kingdom comes, that's when people's lives are changed. My life has changed. I'm picking up my pace. You know, give me my daily bread. And I'm thinking, God, thank you for providing enough money so I can eat TV dinners and cup of noodles for this year. I'm like, thank you, God. My basic needs are met. Be with my church, my community, so that we love one another, forgive one another. You know, I'm, I'm turning around, I'm heading back, 
And I'm trying to run, and I'm huffing and puffing, and it's, it's awesome. When you're physically weak, I repent more. God, forgive me for this. God, forgive me for that. And lo and behold, there it goes, Riverside Church, the spire of Riverside Church. And the tree-lined path of Grant's tomb, it's the closest thing you get to heaven. I'm like, I'm praying. You know how the Lord's Prayer traditionally ends. <laughs> traditionally ends. He says, uh, I shift from praying to worship, for yours is the kingdom and the power forever and ever. Amen. Look, if you don't have the words, Jesus taught you the words. Use it. See, when we learn Jesus' prayer, we learn the primary goal of prayer. It will change your life. See, this would also change the way that we as a church pray. Um, churches have this thing called a prayer meeting. You may not be familiar with it. Um, people get together, and mainly they just pray together. There's some power in it. In his book, Outgrowing the Ingrown Church, Jack Miller, former pastor in Glenside, Pennsylvania, talks about the difference between prayer meetings. He says there's two types. Uh, let me give it to you. He says there's maintenance prayer meetings and frontline prayer meetings. Maintenance prayer meetings are short, mechanical, and totally focused on the physical needs inside the church. We should still pray those prayers. But much of the time, the church prays maintenance-oriented prayers. The primary goal in maintenance-oriented prayers is give us this day our stuff. Protect this building. But frontline prayers have three, has three basic traits. Let me give it to you. A request for grace to confess sins and humble ourselves. A compassion and zeal for the flourishing of the church and reaching the lost and a yearning to know God, to see his face, to see his glory. See, frontline prayer is about the Father's kingdom. See, it's about Jesus' primary goal in life. See, kingdom prayer like this helps to counteract and offset what we pray mostly for. We pray more readily for my health, my family, my job, my sports team, my power, my agenda, even my church. Though we probably were not taught to do this, somehow our prayers become inward-focused. See, our prayer is about hallowing my name, my life, my tribe. I want my kingdom to be honored and glorified. We want to save ourselves. That's why Jesus says in Mark 8, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. If you just pray for your own kingdom, be busy life living life according to your own will, that's actually bad news compared to the good news that Jesus offers in God's kingdom. How do you pray? How do you pray? Not for yourself, but for God's kingdom. How do you pray not according to your will, but God's will? See, that takes us to the third lesson, how. How must we pray? Verses 5 to 8. Jesus teaches how to pray by telling a parable, a story that some will get the kernel of truth and other people will not. <laughs> the story setting has no 24-hour convenience stores, no hotels, so it's uh, socially and culturally mandated that you provide for visitors. 
There is no Motel 6. There is no Holiday Inn. So even a friend of a friend of a friend, you have the obligation to provide. One just dropped in at midnight, and you have no bread. And earlier that day, you saw your friend neighbor making Panera bread. <laughs> now, despite your shame of having nothing, your inability to bake that bread, shame of burdening a neighbor, you knock on his door. Now, you'll be waking up the whole family because not only do they sleep in the same house, same room, same mat. You knock and cry out, friend, lend me three loaves. You're the only one who can provide. Ah, Jesus says that neighbor friend doesn't provide you those loaves because you're his neighbor or friend. What a neighbor, what a friend. He provides because of your shameless audacity. Now, that, that's the word or the phrase used in the NIV translation, which this church uses. In the English Standard Version, it's impudence. Impudence. Mm -hmm. Impudence. Impudence is not just persistence. Persistence is doing the same thing over and over again, even when you're facing opposition. You're like a stalker. No. See, impudence is the attitude while you're being persistent. What's the attitude? What's the attitude? Impudence is a combination of shamelessness and boldness or audacity. See, in the story, you have every reason to be ashamed. You have nothing. You're powerless. You're unable to provide. <laughs> but when you acknowledge having nothing, powerless, unable, shame turns shameless. Shame confessed turns into shamelessness. You're saying, you know what? I know I have nothing. Everybody else knows that I have nothing. My neighbor knows that I have nothing. I'm just going to put it out there. See, shame turns into shamelessness. Now, boldness comes from the fact that the, there's only one person who can provide. There is only one you can go to, and you will be bold going to him. Hmm? If there's only one who can provide at that moment. See, then you are shameless and bold. <laughs> you are impudent. In American culture, uh, this appears in movies, in romantic comedies. The male lead has done so many dumb things to turn the, his in, female interest off. His, in, his female interest is uh, uh, sleeping or is about to sleep on the second floor window. The male lead comes and he starts confessing all of his stupid actions that he's done to try to get her. And she looks out the window and says, shh, shh, you're going to wake everybody up. And what does he say? I don't care if everybody knows. Confesses his mistakes. And then what? Professes boldly his love. See, we see it all the time. And Jesus says that's the attitude of persistence that we need in prayer. Jesus at another time tells a parable of two praying in the temple, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee was bold. He had lived a good moral life. He lived a religious life, definitely better than the sinner. But the tax collector, here's the corrupt government IRS official extorting money from everybody. He knew it, and everybody else knew it. 
He was tempted by money, power, building his own kingdom. He is standing in the back, can't even approach God, but he acknowledges sin and shame. He becomes shameless. He beats his chest in frustration. In confessing, he becomes shameless, boldly cries out, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, that tax collector impudently clung unto God and left forgiven. (laughs) But the Pharisee, he was self-satisfied with himself and left unforgiven. See, some pray boldly with no shame. God, I deserve this. Others, we have lots of shame. God, you you can never forgive me. And altogether, we stop praying. But see, we must pray like the tax collector. Pray impudently, shameless, then bold. Shameless, then bold. How? Confess to God. Confess to God that you've had an employee-employer relationship with him that you haven't seen him as father in your life. And boldly pray for the father's kingdom, for him to rule over your heart and your whole family. Confess that we don't have the ability and power to provide what people need, even what I need. Confess that. Be shameless about that. And boldly go to the father who can. Admit that we need forgiveness for sins. The idols of the heart, desires that have gone out of control, the gratifying ones as well as the self-righteous ones, confess to God. He will forgive. Boldly go to the Father for forgiveness. Admit to God and even to others that we have broken relationships. We've held grudges. We have not forgiven people. We've kept a record of wrongs on your iPhone. And boldly go to the Father who reconciles and restores relationships, families, communities. Confess. And boldly go. See, we got to be impudent. Impudent. It's a great word. Shamelessly confess of our kingdom and will and boldly pray for the Father's kingdom and will. That's the third lesson. we got to go to the fourth lesson. Why? Why can we pray with shameless boldness for the Father's kingdom? Quickly, Jesus teaches two reasons why. First, the promise, verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Seek and you will find is often taken out of context to seek anything we want. A big, big house, self-diapering toddlers, season tickets. (laughs) I've asked that. (laughs) But the promise is this. Ask God for his heavenly kingdom to intrude into the earthly kingdom, and he'll be given to you. Ask for the kingdom, he will give you the kingdom. Mark Driscoll, now pastor of Trinity Church in Arizona, says, you're praying to the Father for what's already is on its heart, on his heart. What is already his will, which means what? We can pray boldly, (laughs) pray boldly, with conviction and confidence that God will give what he wants to give. Now, followers of Jesus, we can pray like this. Why? Here's a second reason. The person. God is a good father. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Even the worst father gives good gifts to your children. My first son constantly asks, give me something fun to play with. So I give him a box of old business cards. I give him a wrench. I give him a 20-year-old pencil case. And I consider myself a good father. Don't judge me. (laughs) See, God is not just a father, but a good, good father. See, the reason why we don't pray boldly is because we think 
we don't trust him as a good father. When we asked for an egg, he really did give us a serpent and a scorpion. He gave me uh, all the bad things when I asked for him for good things. God, get my family out of this situation, and he still hasn't. God, you're a bad gifter. <laughs> so why would we pray? Why would we pray? Why pray to God as Father for his willing kingdom? See, because God promises all the best stuff, that he gives us the best gifts, that he gives us our best life now so that we can get busy living on our own? No, no. Jesus does not say, how much more will the Heavenly Father give fish, eggs, bread to those who ask him? No, he doesn't say that. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit shines the light on Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. The Holy Spirit draws our attention to Jesus. Because Jesus not only teaches prayer, he's the one who makes the prayer possible. See, you can have God as Father because Jesus took on all the shame of our lives to turn shameful people to be shameless. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can say, you know what? I'm just going to admit it. I know I'm a sinner. I know everybody else knows I'm a sinner. I'm just going to put it out there. Shame turns shameless. And because Jesus gave his righteous, resurrected life, he gives that to those who place faith in him. We can approach the Father, not because of my works that I have done, but because Jesus has given me his righteousness, his resurrected life. I can boldly go to the Father, to the throne of grace, change your life. Jesus makes it possible. See, once orphans without a father, now we have a father. Once employees to an employer God, we're now children. We can pray boldly. Jesus, the son, did all of the work to make the kingdom good news for us. You'll see in Matthew 4, Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness among the people. He provided Daily needs by feeding the thousands, forgiving people of their sins as only God can, reconciling people, setting people free from temptations, liberating people from the idols of the heart. See, we can experience a little bit of this from Jesus. Because in the church, the church is a miniature version of the kingdom. Despite all of the church's flaws, you have people in the church who are taking part of that offering and providing for people's needs inside the church and outside the church. And there are some people in this church who are spiritually concerned for you. The church is the kingdom in miniature. See, we need to be involved with that. And the church needs to be praying kingdom-centered prayers. See, Jesus makes all the prayer possible because the resurrected Jesus, in fact, is praying on our behalf. See? So now, let's get to the homework. When you have the temptation to pray for your sports teams this week, or when you want to get someone fired, which should be at least one time this week, or when you're thinking, you know what, I, I want bad things to happen to that person, or when you don't know what to pray, especially when you're about to work out at the YMCA, or you're taking a long walk and you cannot be distracted by looking at your phone, this is what you do. First, ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. 
And the Father guarantees that he'll give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will draw you to Jesus, to Jesus' prayer, to trust in him. Trust in him for the first time and trust in him for the thousandth time. And then pray the Lord's Prayer as a guide. Pray to the Father. Mm -hmm. Pray for the good news of his kingdom, his will in your life. Pray, pray with shameless audacity, boldness, impudence. Pray with confidence in the promise and the person of God as Father. That will change your life. Friends, brothers and sisters, Calvary, let's learn the lessons of prayer from Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge you as our Father God. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you be abundant in our lives. Fill us so that we can live in sync with Jesus, his mission, his primary goal. Jesus, teach us how to pray over and over again. Help us to be living it out, especially as we are busy with so many things that we can truly be busy living the resurrection life. Because Jesus, you teach us. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.